Today's scripture reading is Acts chapter 15, verse 36, through chapter 16, verse 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul went, wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed to, <clears throat> where we suppose there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, John, for reading that. And if you want to help me in the next couple of weeks, because we'll be online at least for a little bit longer, um, and you would like to record a reading of today's scripture passage to be played uh, as part of our congregational worship, um, A, we'd love to see you. That'd be just nice to see other people, and B, it'd be a help to, to me. So please reach out to me through email or messaging or whatever. All right, so let's jump into today's text. Now, today's text, there are three things uh, that I want to tell you about. One thing I find 
strangely comforting. That's kind of the title of today's sermon, strangely comforting. The second thing uh, I find oh so convicting, all right? Something I find super convicting. And the third thing I find incredibly hopeful. Now, I hope that today's message will just kind of be one of those messages that helps you in your Christian walk, uh, that, you know, that helps you kind of in, in discipleship, right? We call this thing where you, discipleship, following Christ, right? Obeying the, the teachings of Jesus, getting to know him, loving him. That's what it means to be a disciple. Uh, like we're just kind of a continuation of the disciples today. Uh, and so I, I hope that you'll find something in this that can encourage you on your way. But I want to talk, talk about something I find like strangely comforting. And maybe you have this in your own life. It's like that, that thing that for some reason brings you comfort, even though it's kind of weird. Uh, so I have this. Uh, it's the sound of 495. So my my house is located, I, I call it like the armpit of 495 and Route 3 uh, in Chelmsford. Like you can walk one direction and see 495 and walk just you know, 45 degrees the other direction and you're at, you're at route three. Uh, and I can hear 495 from my house. Like I can hear like the white noise, the, the cars going by, like the, the jingling of the chains. Like, I don't know if there's bumps over there, but it always sounds like cars are running over bumps and trucks and just things are banging around, but it's like this low level white noise. Uh, in fact, I'm sure people uh, like take recordings of that and then play it for kids so that they can fall asleep. I think I have one of those on my, my app. Um, my phone. Uh, and I just find it comforting, right? For some reason, I'm like, oh, the world, the world hasn't ended, <laughs> right? There's still traffic. Uh, the world hasn't ended. We're still going. Uh, and so that's something I find strangely comforting. And as I was reading today's passage, as I was looking at the text, I found something that I thought was kind of strangely comforting for my Christian walk, for my walk with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you about that because it's a little unexpected. Now to get there, I need to tell you a little bit about uh, the kind of the context, what happened before today's passage, because we're reading like this, this history, right? Like we're, we're kind of going through this early church history and I'm preaching sermons on, on history. Uh, and what came before this is that there was this huge like church fight, but not like, you know, people punching each other. I mean, th th there were these groups that came together and were arguing over doctrine and they call this the Jerusalem council. It's like the first church council. Uh, and they were debating whether or not you had to become circumcised and essentially become culturally Jewish and obey the Old Testament law in order to become a Christian. And they decided, no, you do not have to be circumcised to become a Christian. And this is really good news for the Gentiles. Uh, and so what they do at this council, um, it's headed by James, the brother of Jesus. They write a letter that they then circulate among kind of some of the Gentile churches. Uh, these people that weren't culturally Jewish, telling them like, hey, here are some, some things that, you know, you should do, not worshiping idols, you know, not, not drinking blood and, and, uh, and uh, eating, eating idols that have been, uh, not idols, uh, animals that have been strangled. Like these were kind of pagan religious practices anyways. And sort of, it, it, it sort of made them a little bit more mm, uh, uh, easy for the Jewish community to welcome right? You're, you're, you're following some of our practices, uh, but it was clear they didn't have to kind of become culturally Jewish in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian. And so what happens then is that uh, they deliver this letter, and then Paul and Barnabas uh, began teaching and preaching. And Paul says, hey, you know what? 
I want to go and visit some of the churches that we visited on our first missionary journey. Remember when we traveled to Cyprus and up into Galatia and there was stonings and it was crazy. Well, I want to go back there. <laughs> now, they didn't have like Facebook. You know, that's why the church continued, right? Uh, they didn't have email. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have TikTok. Uh, so they couldn't like send their like TikTok message back and forth to see how how they're doing. Uh, they just had to go there. I mean, they could write letters, uh, but that was also kind of an expensive process. Uh, and Paul says, you know what? I want to go and I want to see these churches because I love these churches and I care about them and I want to visit them in person. But then there's a big fight. And we see this in verses 36 through 41. So after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let, me, let us return and visit the brothers in every city that we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take him with them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone with them to the work, uh, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and departed, having been committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So something in this passage I find strangely comforting. So what happened, even backing up even further, is that on their first missionary journey, uh, they had uh, John Mark, Barnabas's cousin, come with them. And they, they, they sailed from Antioch to Cyprus. Uh, I don't know if you have the map ready, John, but you could put it up. I wasn't really planning on putting it up here, but there you go. Ah, oh, it's perfect. It's squared fits. You can still see me. That's great. Uh, <laughs> so they, they sailed from Antioch to Cyprus. You can see kind of Salamis. Now this is a different missionary journey. This is the, the second missionary journey you're seeing on the map. Uh, but then when they went up kind of from Cyprus to like the Lystra area, right below that near the shore, Pamphylia, John Mark bailed on them and he left and he went back to Cyprus or wherever. He, he left them. And this was like a big event. You can take the map down. Uh, this was a big event for them because, you know, this, this was someone who was supposed to help them to kind of go through the trials of sharing the gospel with them. And he kind of runs away. This is the same John Mark who potentially was the young man in the garden who, when Jesus was betrayed, uh, ran away naked. Well, the gospels have some pretty exciting stuff, right? And so maybe... Paul's thinking, like, this kid has a history of running away when things get hard. Right? He ran away in the garden. He abandoned Jesus. He abandoned Paul. I mean, that's a that's like a pretty big accomplishment to, like, abandon both of these major church figures. Uh, and they get in this sharp disagreement. The, the Greek word for this is paroxymos, uh, which means they had a huge row. As that's how N.T. Wright said. They had a huge row. He's British, so I don't know if that's part of it. <laughs> um, uh, the word fisticuffs, right? Like there were, didn't, I don't think they quite went that far. Like I don't think there was any uh, swinging of fists. Uh, but this, this word kind of talks about the church like was provoked, that there was this convulsing, this writhing, this thrashing. It's like when you're feeling sick, sick to your stomach, and you're like thrashing around in your bed. That's what happens to Paul and Barnabas and their friendship. They've been so close together, and there's just this terrible tearing. But it's also what was happening to kind of the church community. And uh, it was a dangerous time. Uh, but they got through it. 
And yet we wonder, like, who was right, right? Was Barnabas right or was Paul right? Uh, you know, Barnabas was, his, his original name was Joseph, but he's called Barnabas because he's called the son of encouragement. It's, this is someone who's an encourager. He's a positive kind of guy. Uh, you know, John Mark is his cousin. So maybe, maybe he is a little clouded in his thinking, a little biased. You know, you mess with my family, you mess with me. Um, but if we look back, like when Paul originally called Saul became a Christian, Barnabas went and vouched for Paul. And that was one of the reasons that Paul could do ministry in the early church. And so surely Barnabas is thinking and perhaps communicating directly to Paul, aren't you being a little bit hypocritical, right? You were killing the early Christians and, you know, you had a vision of Jesus and I vouched for you. Are you not going to show grace to John Mark? Like what, what has he done that's so bad? Maybe he, maybe he deserted us, but he's grown. He's matured a little bit. We don't exactly know what that conversation looked like, but you can imagine that, you know, if Barnabas is the encourager, he must always be right, right? Because it takes someone who never gets mad. It takes a lot for them to get mad. <laughs> but what about Paul, right? On the other hand, you can see things Paul's way because he loves the gospel. He loves the good news about Jesus Christ, and he just wants to tell people. And he might actually be harboring some resentment towards Barnabas because uh, he reports that when that that kind of pro-circumcision party, those those Pharisees came up to Antioch and were spreading that false doctrine about you have to get circumcised in order to become a Christian. It says even Barnabas was led astray by them. It's like this passing comment. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy, Galatians 2.13. And so Paul might be even questioning Barnabas. Hey, does, does Barnabas, is he even really committed to the gospel? Right? Is he even reliable and John Mark's not reliable. I, my whole missionary journey is going to fall apart as soon as something happens. Uh, and it's a shame because like these guys got beat up together, chased out of towns together. And yet you see this terrible, terrible breaking in their relationship. Now, just because the Bible records something doesn't mean that it approves of it. Right. I think it's, this is an example of their sin, that they messed up. And it's kind of in this that I find something strangely comforting. That if God still worked through Paul and Barnabas, even through their fight, even through their huge uh, debacle, God can still work through you and me even when we mess up. Right? If God can work through them, <laughs> Paul goes on to do these amazing, amazing missionary journeys and God still uses Barnabas and John Mark. God can use us. We don't have to be perfect for God to work through us. Right? Sometimes we get this, this impression that, oh, I just have to be the perfect Christian in order to tell others about Jesus. Or in order to be a good parent, I have to like not have sinned today. <laughs> That's not true. And I do find this like strangely comforting and perhaps a little bit of an odd way that, uh, you know, you know, like when you watch someone who never messes up, <laughs> Who's like uh, the, the person that's uh, really good at everything. And finally they do mess up. Like they, they, they lose their keys or, you know, they, they, they fail a test or whatever. You're, you kind of get a little glee. You're like, ah, <laughs> they're not as perfect as they seem they are. Uh, and then you kind of look around and you feel bad. You know, I shouldn't be laughing at that. Or maybe you're that person, right? You're the, the, the one that never screws up. And then when finally you do, 
everyone's like, ha ha, your spouse kind of laughs at you, but then they love you. And so it's okay. Well, Paul, the author of 13 books of the New Testament, the most famous missionary in all of Christian history, <laughs> loves to tell Christians how to behave. He wasn't perfect. He was human, like the rest of us. And I find that so comforting, so strangely comforting. God can use someone like Paul and work through him and Barnabas, then he can use people like me. And this is a good reminder, right? Maybe you're not a Christian. You're like, what does this message have to do with me? So God uh, is interested in giving grace to screw-ups. God didn't come to save perfect people. In fact, he came to save imperfect people, people who recognize their brokenness and that they're sinful and that they need a Savior. That's who God came for. The church is full of broken people, right? We're like a, you know, we're like a, a, a piece of rotten fruit that God plants in the ground and then raises it back up again. It becomes like this this tree where something's happening, where fruit is being uh, fruit is being made and, and picked. You know that's that's kind of who we are as a people. And maybe you're not a Christian and and you want to experience this, right? You want to be kind of born again. You want God to to work in your life, even though you're a mess up too. Well, just invite Him into your life. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, and say, you know what, I. I want you to come in and transform my life, not just to make me a good person, but to, to bring me into relationship with you uh, so that whether I'm at a good place or a bad place, I know that you love me and that I'm forgiven. Uh, you know, later, Paul does write, uh, I think, of his transformation. We, knew, we know that uh, he... He writes of Barnabas later in his letters, and he, and he does say that John Mark is useful to me later in his life. And so there's some sort of reconciliation. But later in Romans, he actually says, you know, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then in 1 Corinthians, he says, love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. All right, so clearly God has done a work in Paul's heart. And I find that strangely comforting, that if he can work in Paul's heart, he can work in mine. And he can work in yours. And so if there's something in your heart right now that says, you know what, I need God to work on me and, and work through me, and I really want him to, to, to do his will in my life, then just pray that and say, you know, God, would you, would you find a way? Uh, because I can't just do this through my own mental willpower. It's not going to work. I'll end up like Paul and Barnabas. So I find that strangely comforting. And then I find something oh so convicting. And maybe you'll be able to figure out what I find convicting in this passage. But let's continue to work through the story. So Paul, they left and they came also to Derby and to Lystra. And maybe you can go ahead and put up that picture again, John, so that we can kind of track ourselves here. So Paul came, so he went from Antioch and then he goes to Derby and Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. So, you might be kind of shocked, uh, but uh, 
because because Paul kind of does this sort of about face, right? He just had this huge battle of the believers about like, Christian gatekeeping, right? That people were setting up boundaries and they were gatekeeping other people coming to Christianity through circumcision. And then what does Paul do? <laughs> he turns around and he circumcises Timothy. Well, Paul, isn't that a bit hypocritical? But I think this passage in 1 Corinthians, it says this, it says, I have become all things to all people that I might save some. I think that sort of applies in this situation. See, Timothy was not a Gentile. He was an uncircumcised Jew. His father was Greek, but you counted your Jewishness through your mother, right? Because you can guarantee that she's your mom. Uh, and so he was Jewish, uh, uh, culturally Jewish. Uh, but uh, because he wasn't circumcised, that kind of created a, a roadblock, right? If he's going to go and do ministry among the Jewish people and they find out he's not circumcised, then they're going to be thinking about that <laughs> instead of hearing the gospel message, wondering, what, why aren't you circumcised? Is there something you don't uh, affirm about us as Jewish people? And uh, it would just it would become gatekeeping, essentially. And in order to kind of get rid of that gate, Paul just says, you know what, let's go ahead and, uh, and circumcise you, Timothy. Now, if you know your Bibles in, in Titus chapter 2, it says that Titus, uh, who is entirely Greek, he would not circumcise. Like people wanted him to get circumcised and he said no, right? Because that would have been a conversion from essentially being a Gentile to becoming a Jew or to become a Christian. And that's a different story. So Paul says no to Titus, but he says yes to Timothy getting circumcised. So the question is, what, does I find, what do I find convicting here? And it's this, that Timothy, a young man, was willing to go through the painful act of circumcision for the sake of the gospel. His level of commitment, his 110% level of commitment convicts me, right? Today, when they do circumcision, there's, cir there's sugar cubes involved, there's medical devices, and for Timothy, uh, there's a big knife. I, I don't know what else there was, but not something you would want to go through as a man. Uh, and yet, Timothy was willing to do it. It doesn't say that he argued with Paul. I just did it. It's really convicting because like, I don't like discomfort. I don't like pain. I don't like sacrifice. I don't like things being difficult. I don't like it being embarrassing. All those things make it hard for me to do things like share the gospel or love others when, when I need to. Uh, when, when God calls me to do so and it's difficult. And, uh, and yet Timothy does this incredible thing for the sake of the gospel. Uh, maybe you're wrestling with you know, things that you won't do for Jesus either. I mean, think of, think of that. Are there things in your life that you won't give up? Um, sins or things you love that, well, it's just uh, it's a slight inconvenience. Therefore, I won't give it up. Or, you know, the most convicting one, I think, for a lot of us is just when was the last time you shared the gospel, right? I read one stat that said, you know, 60% of, 80% uh, of believers think it's important to share their faith. So eight out of 10 believers say, you know what, I am supposed to share about Jesus. But 61% haven't done so for the last six months. So have I shared the gospel in the last six months, in the last year, the last couple of years? If not, why not? And when will that change? And uh, it just won't change on its own. We gotta be intentional about it. We gotta lift that up in prayer and pray for our front lines and pray for opportunities for God to speak through us. And that can make us uncomfortable, right? But that's why they ask the Holy. That's why we ask the Holy Spirit to come to help us, to to change us, to to lead us, to follow His prompting. 
<clears throat> you know, I have something in my own life right now. I'm like, well, maybe the Holy Spirit's leading to do this thing. I don't know. I'm waiting to kind of see. I'm praying about it, trying to think of steps I can take. And I invite you to kind of do the same thing, right? Uh, let's let's do this together as a church family. Let's share about Christ. Let's let's get uncomfortable uh, for Jesus. <coughs> All right. And yet, I also want to affirm. I want to encourage our congregation because, you know, I was thinking about us as a church community and that we did something really uncomfortable and I'm really proud of us, right? We did our worship service on the Westford Common. It's so much easier to do church service inside our own sanctuary with our own sound equipment and our own screen where everything is kind of our own. And yet uh, we said, you know what? We want to be a light to our community. We want to get the gospel message out there. And we, we sacrificed and we did it. And I'm, I'm so proud of us because... I mean, there was like 30 or 40 Cornerstone people and probably 40 Westford people. It was amazing how many like people from our community came, heard the gospel, and uh, we'll see what God does in their lives, how we might use that. Uh, and so the question then is, what is God going to call us to do next, right? What is gonna, God going to call us to do as a church community next to kind of get the gospel message out there? And, and how can it help to kind of remember Timothy and his commitment, uh, his conviction, I wonder if he thought of Jesus, right? Like, I don't know what got him through that, but just probably thinking about Jesus and Jesus's level of commitment, right? That he laid down his life on the cross so that, that we could live, right? He actually died. It wasn't just a kind of a painful surgery. It was uh, a loss of life. And yet Jesus paid it all. He was willing to go the entire distance uh, uh, to shed his blood so that we might live. And so I think Timothy would probably thought, you know what, if, if, if my God can do that, then you know, I need to follow him. So I find that convicting. I find that challenging. But I also have something that I find incredibly hopeful. Maybe you can put up the map for one more time as we'll kind of read through uh, the last section. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So you can kind of see Asia on the map there and how, you know, they weren't, weren't able to go in there. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go down to Bithynia, and the Spirit did not allow them, right? So they can't go into Asia, they can't go into Bithynia. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, and concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I just want to point out in verse 10, it said, We sought to go into Macedonia. Suddenly there's this... This first person plural, we. Well, who's the we? Well, now it's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and the author of the book of Acts, Luke, has actually joined them, right? So we know that his account is a reliable account because he spent a lot of time with them and could have heard their stories, but then also witnessed many of them firsthand. So that's pretty cool. But this was a discouraging time for Paul, Silas, and Timothy, right? Like, they're trying to follow the Holy Spirit. They're trying to go where the Holy Spirit wants. They just got Timothy circumcised. You know, like, they're ready to go. They're w willing to do anything. And then the Holy Spirit just kind of shuts doors. The Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go to Asia. I don't want you to go to Mysia. I don't know what you, want you to go to Bithynia. He doesn't say why or, or how, even how that was communicated, just that the Holy Spirit kept stopping those things from happening. And so I think this could have been discouraging, but I think if we look at the wider story, we're actually going to find a lot of encouragement here. Oh, John, I, I, uh, I misspoke. One more time with the map. 
verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. This is where Paul writes the letter to the Philippians. Uh, well, he doesn't write from there, he writes to there. Which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath we went outside to the gate of the riverside where we were supposed where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. I want you to look at the map for a second. She, her name was Lydia, right, and she was from Thyatira. So maybe you can see on that map where Thyatira is located. Just give you a moment, see if you can spot it. That's right. It's in Asia. Thyatira is in Asia. Thyatira is in the heart of the place where God would not let them go. See, God saves Lydia. Let's read that in the next verses. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So God said, you know, you can't go into Asia. He sends them, you know, over to Philippi. And then what happens? Their first convert is from Asia, is from Thyatira. The God that didn't send them to Asia because he was going to bring Asia to them. It's like this just little nugget of how the Holy Spirit had a plan and God was doing what he wanted to do. See, I think the, the encouragement, what I find so hopeful, is that God knows what he's doing. He will bring his plans about. God has a better plan than any of us could ever orchestrate. It reminds me of Cornerstone, right? Like, uh, there was no way that I could have orchestrated the church plant at Cornerstone, right? But God put Monica and me in a church planting class together and uh, connected us with Dana, who was already Monica's mentor, who said, do Westford. And then little did we know that in Westford, there was this church that wanted to give up their church building to, to replant. And God just brought like Monica and me and Dana and Emmanuel Church and Chelmsford and Westford Bible Church together. Said so here you have a pastor and family who's trained. You have a church building and then you have a, uh, an Emmanuel Church community that wants to give funding and a team. Just brought all those things together. Like I could not have planned that. And that's a little bit like this story, right? Like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they couldn't have planned their first convert being from Asia, but God planned it. Uh, and, and it's this amazing woman who's this like business leader, who's wealthy, who's clearly smart, becomes a leader of the church here. And just an amazing woman of faith. God brings her, he opens her heart to Jesus. And so I think this is just a reminder to trust God. Let's trust God. Let's trust his plans. Let's be hopeful about what God can do. Like we don't know why we're watching our online service from our houses, from our couches. I mean, it's kind of nice to be sipping coffee in our PJs, right? But we don't know why. And it could be discouraging. But let's just take a moment and remember that like Paul and Silas and Timothy, they went through this very confusing season so that God could do something even more special, even greater than they ever could have imagined. Maybe you have someone in your own life too that you're like hoping, hey, maybe that they'll come to faith. You have a Lydia 
right? I have a Lydia that I want to see come to faith and I'm praying for her. This is a reminder to pray for the, the Lydias in our lives, that they would come to faith in Christ, that God would use them to become great church leaders. So I find God's grace over Paul and Barnabas strangely comforting. I find Timothy's commitment convicting. I find Lydia's conversion incredibly hopeful. Now this all points to the gospel, right? Because as we look at the story, we see, we see failure. But we remember because of the gospel, we don't need to be successes, right? Uh, the gospel means good news. And the good news is that Paul and Barnabas blew it, right? But Jesus never did. Jesus never sinned like them. He never lost it. He never sinned like you and I have sinned. He's never lost it the way we've lost it with our family members or friends or church members. His innocent life is what goes on your record and my record. So when God judges us, he doesn't judge us based on our own records or Paul's record or Barnabas's record, as amazing as those might be. Judges us based on the record of his son, on the life of his son, Christ Jesus. And I find that, oh, so strangely comforting. How about the commitment? Jesus was so committed to our salvation that he went to the cross at the cost of his own life. He died because he knew that we would never live up to God's standards apart from him. God has perfect standards. All right, go and be blessed. Go and live up to those standards. We'll never do it apart from Christ Jesus. Jesus did it. He's God come in the flesh to, to meet God's own standards. I find that convicting, but I also find that incredibly comforting. Right? I don't have to earn my salvation. It's also motivating, though, because I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like him. I want him to work through me, and I want my life to look like his life. But it's incredibly comforting. I don't have to earn my salvation. It's a gift. I believe Jesus, and I follow him. And then Jesus died to save women like Lydia. He died to open hearts and bring businessmen and businesswomen, seekers and learners, salvation through faith in him. And if he can open Lydia's heart, he can open your heart. And if you don't know Jesus, today can be the day that he opens up your heart uh, and gives you salvation and transforms your life and the life of your family. And for those that are around you that don't know Christ, he can open up their hearts too. Never give up. God has a plan. God has a plan. Let's find that plan to be so hopeful. So I hope today that you're strangely comforted. Maybe you're not listening to the traffic. Uh, and I would be curious to see what people find to be strangely comforting. Uh, maybe uh, maybe uh, just remember that the next time that you are strangely comforted. Remember the story of you know, Paul and Barnabas having a blowout fight. And I hope you're convicted. I hope you're challenged. Right? Challenged by Timothy's circumcision, challenged by his level of commitment, uh, comforted by Christ too. Yet I also hope that you're hopeful, right? God has a plan. He works things out. He works things out. He didn't let them go to Asia, and yet he brought Asia to them. Let's pray. Lord, would this message help us in our discipleship walk, our walk with Jesus Christ? Wherever we're at, would it draw us closer to Jesus? Would the Holy Spirit draw us closer to him? I pray that, uh, that you would soften our hearts to Jesus, to the gospel message. Please bless uh, our people as they go out into their day, into their week. Lord, uh, would your word strengthen them throughout this week and your Holy Spirit guide them so that, just, that we're all aware and we're sensing what you want to do in our lives and when you want to do it. And I do pray for this business meeting this afternoon, Lord, with your will be done, whatever that means. Uh, we love you. We, we want to know you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
benediction means blessing, so just blessing everyone that stayed tuned, and thank you for being here. 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded through faith for a salvation that will be revealed. May you uh, be blessed in Christ Jesus today, my Cornerstone Church family. Love you. God bless.